our story, but what we really want to enable is this democratization of the platform economy. And the approach for us to reaching that is that we make it as easy as possible for somebody. They can be a small startup, they can be a social enterprise, they can be a small cooperative, they can be a nonprofit to build this type of platform and make it success in the way they define success. This is Simone Cicero, the host of the Bandless Conversations podcast, an ongoing exploration on the future of platforms and ecosystems. These conversations help us make sense of what's coming next with platform business models, the dynamics of marketplaces, business ecosystems, and much more. Join me, my regular co-host, Sina Heikila, and other guests as we explore new perspectives about how we organize a scale in a rapidly changing world. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Boundaryless Conversation podcast. I'm Stina Heikile, co-host alongside Simone Cicero. Today, we have the great pleasure of speaking to Juho Makonen, CEO and co-founder of ShareTribe, and also a common friend from the heydays of the onset of the sharing economy. ShareTribe builds software that helps entrepreneurs and organizations create their own online marketplace platforms. Today, their software powers more than 1,000 marketplaces in 70 countries around the world. In this episode, we get into the details of marketplace trends with a special peek into trends of componentization and modularity and the tension between standardization and offering more managed and tailor-made marketplaces as a service. We take a deep dive into the evolving ShareTribe offerings and understand why the company decided to become source available rather than open source after eight years into the business. We also get some insights about different marketplace needs and trends in different geographies. Finally, we explore how Juho sees the position of ShareTribe compared to other players such as Miracle and Shopify regarding defensibility strategies and key audiences. He also explains what ShareTribe does to protect its mission to democratize the sharing economy by experimenting with the stewardship model and how their history of coming from a grassroots world keeps influencing how the company grows and is run. A highly thoughtful episode to enjoy. Here we go with Juho Makonen. Hello, everyone. Yeah, Simone here, uh, Simone Cicero, your host of the Boundaries Conversations podcast. And I'm here today with uh, my usual co-host, Stina Hekila. Hello, hello. And uh, today we uh, have with us, uh, uh, I would say, um, you know, uh, I don't want to say a legend of marketplaces because, uh, because but, but that's, that's pretty much the, the thing, at least uh, the company that uh, Juho Makonen uh, uh, created a few, uh, a few years ago now, uh, ShareTribe, has been uh, in the radar of most, I think, many, for sure, many of the entrepreneurs that have been venturing into marketplaces uh, so far. So Juho, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So as I said, you know, ShareTribe, uh, it's the company you founded uh, now, how many years ago? It was 2012, maybe something like that. The company was founded already in, in 2011. So it's been a while. Uh, wow. Uh, so almost a decade. So in this decade, we moved from the early stage of the sharing economy and marketplaces into, I would say, a, a world that is uh, diving uh, deep into this idea of marketplaces. And uh, for those of you, the listeners that have been uh, downloading our recent white paper, uh, The New Foundations of Platforms Ecosystem Thinking, they, you, you will have seen that marketplace pervasivity, so the idea that marketplaces are going everywhere, It's really, really uh, one of the foundational hypotheses, uh, the foundational thesis of our, of our research. So, Juho, maybe you can give a, a quick, uh, um, you know, you can resonate a bit with this idea of uh, privacy marketplaces and explaining us 
where is today uh, Share Tribe? So where are, where are you? What are you seeing? And uh, essentially, how do you see yourself uh, playing a role in this, uh, uh, you know, as an initial, at least, point of view? How do you see your role in this industry unfolding? Yeah, great question. So if I first talk a bit about the history of Share Tribe and how we came to be, as you can maybe uh, already deduct from our name of our company, our roots are heavily in the so-called sharing economy. And, and our first concept was indeed for make it very easy for somebody to build their own uh, sharing economy platform. Uh, and that is still a part of, important part of what we do. So you can create a so-called Airbnb for X. Uh, so uh, like a peer-to-peer rental or service platform for uh, renting various things from from other uh, other consumers. However, uh, after we started that, that that's that was purely when that our focus at the time, the sharing economy. And since then, we've saw we saw that yes, this is really a part of a way bigger bigger phenomenon. Uh, maybe you call it the platform economy or the marketplace economy, uh, which basically just sees this whole whole dynamic uh, playing a- again and again that you have certain industries where there's a fragmented market of lots of small suppliers and you create tremendous efficiencies uh, by creating one channel uh, through which the customers can access this pool and and through a unified user experience uh, purchase services from them. And and this is something that we just see see happening in pretty much any industry now especially. And I'm sure we're going to go deeper into what are all the different industries uh, that, that where we are seeing this happening, where, where does this mean? But but it's really happening from uh, to maybe to name name some examples that we've been working recently are airplane mechanics. Uh, there has been information security specialists. There has been accountants. So it's really like probably any industry today in the world uh, you can see this dynamic playing around one way or another. Right, and uh, I mean this is our assumption, you know, that as uh, the, uh, these transactions goes to go down, uh, this model is going to be pervasive and to some extent become, I don't want to say competitive, but I would say describe a new wave of organizations that tend to organize markets this way. So, so a uh, first reflection that uh, that uh, maybe we can also uh, use to explain a little bit more what ShareTribe uh, uh, wants to make uh, available to. Uh, to these entrepreneurs is that uh, you have already evolved from a simple, I would say, uh, no-code approach to marketplaces into something that is a bit more complex. You know, with Flex, the, the, the recent, uh, more recent incarnation of your product evolution towards a marketplace landscape where uh, marketplaces become a bit more nuanced and different. You know? so, so maybe you can say a word about why and how you evolved from the original vision of uh, making it easy for people to create uh, renting uh, or sharing marketplaces into something more complex that uh, ShareTribe uh, is trying to empower with its more recent and more powerful product uh, offering, Flex. Sure. I, I think indeed that when we started, uh, partly the, the reason uh, for this approach that we took in the beginning was also that uh, we were uh, more narrowly focused on the so-called sharing economy, but I think that we, all, we were also like a bit naive and new to the industry. And we felt that, yes, of course, it's possible for us to build this tool that will allow anybody to, without writing a single line of code, to build a, a, like a fully complex uh, marketplace to any, a, any industry. 
And then and naturally, when we started uh, this endeavor, and then we started talking to people, when our business plan met the first customers, we realized that uh, actually that was not the case. It, it was like a, a, every customer that we encountered had some unique capabilities, uh, every platform out there, like they are targeting a very specific uh, group of users and there are certain unique dimensions uh, that that no other platform has. And, and this trend has even grown, uh, grown more in the recent years when we've seen that more and more of these marketplaces that they are, they might start from the simple matchmaking, but, but they gradually will grow to be much more than that. They really go deeper into specific niches and, and that then also means uh, that they will start offering more value throughout the entire value chain for that niche. Uh, so basically that means that they become even like kinds of like software as service products for one or both sides uh, of the equation. So that means building really complex workflows, very specific uh, to the audience uh, that you're looking after. And, and for that, uh, we needed to build a very different type of tool that basically provides the 80 to 90% out of the box, which is the core of these platforms that all the platforms do the same way, but really in an, makes it as easy as possible for you to customize it the way you want to add the necessary workflows and integrations to build the components that are unique for you on top of that. And that's, that's then what we built with, uh, with Flex, uh, our second product, which we started building in 2016 and released in 2018. So when you think about the evolution of the work that you have been doing to empower these, um, this new, I would say, uh, wave of or, uh, organizations and brands that are trying to build marketplaces, can you give us a little bit of a more, a more specific description of what are the components that you see as emerging? Uh, and maybe you can start from the ones that were there where, where you started, you know, in the empowering of this sharing economy wave uh you know for example i can i can say i can tell i can enumerate something like you know the transaction engine management engines or payments or escrow or uh, you know storefront management and something like that or calendar into what you have now so what are the new elements the new, new components and modules that you see emerging the new needs that are emerging from a maturing industry that is, is becoming much more pervasive in the market so indeed, if I start from the functionality that we uh, started building first, so what we expected every marketplace uh, to need, there we started by modeling it after some popular marketplaces like eBay and Airbnb. So you would basically have a search engine to discover the different products from different sellers. Uh, you'd have a payment system uh, to buy those products and, and split the payment between the marketplace and the, uh, and the seller. You would have a, an availability calendar for, for rental products. You would have a messaging system so the users could be in touch with each other. You would have a review system and reputation system to see which, which sellers are and buyers are the most reliable and so on. So th these were really the basic components. Um, but indeed, when we have started building, building Flex, uh, that what we saw, uh, one key example here is that we realized that when you talk about, uh, think about the transaction flow of a marketplace uh, every marketplace usually has a bit unique one so especially if you think about many service industries it's not a straightforward thing that you just find an item you add it to shopping cart and you pay that's just not how it works if you need a plumber if you need a programmer 
if you need an accountant, if you need some of these more complex services. So uh, typically there are certain things that, that can often be even industry specific. So maybe you need the first do some kind of like a user verification where you check that the uh, the customer might need to have certain uh, identity verified that the ser- service provider might need to have their background checked and maybe they you need to check that they have a specific license that they are actually allowed to operate in the marketplace uh, then the uh, the negoti- the process of like per- placing an order can be very complex uh, so as an example maybe the customer first starts by describing uh, their requirements uh, and then to which the, uh, the, the service provider re- replies by explaining like how that work can be conducted. There's maybe some price negotiation. There's some add-ons added. Maybe some files are being sent. Finally, a digital signature might be formed. And, and finally, there's a purchase. Maybe an invoice is being sent on a wire transfer. So, uh, so these, are, these are just some examples. And at all steps, you really need to have integrations to any all kinds of like a third party systems whether it's for taxes accounting currency conversion so the key components then that we have been building at the flex are around these topics so we have a what we call a composable uh, transaction engine that basically allows you to almost draw your own flowchart like you would draw on a whiteboard which basically describes all the different steps your users are taking and then you can give that to our backend and it just models you that and gives back an API that delivers exactly that. And then an integration API that allows you to integrate any third-party software out there, whether it's for identity verification, uh, whether it's for accounting or taxes, whether it's for insurance, whether it's for video call capabilities, which are a very common uh, need these days, uh, and, and many of the other uh, dozens of, of use cases. So these are really the key things that become important. Uh, right. Um, the question that I have is uh, with regards to, you know, this uh, um, clear evolution of the industry. So how do you manage to become uh, both, you know, the, the, to some extent to, to, to generate both these dynamics, the, the standardization dynamic so that... Uh, it's more efficient to create, to prototype, and it's even maybe supporting the scalability. So you don't really need to consider these uh, options, uh, uh, these marketplace engines, uh, just as uh, something that you use for a prototype, but also something that can help you to grow your business, not so, so to, to, to use it as an infrastructure, I would say. So the, the dynamic of standardizing this infrastructure on one hand, and on the other hand, the dynamic of uh, opening yourself uh, and supporting this uh, clear niche nichification i would say of the industry you know this uh, this clear trends of verticalization and and, uh, and, ma- and even towards managed services where actually the marketplace shaper does a much broader job you no know? so it's it's oversees much more of the interactions and the transactions so how do you manage to position yourself uh, in, in between these two trends, you know, the, the, the driver towards standardization for efficiency and cost and the other and, and performance and scalability. And on the other side, the need for verticalization, niche and specific solution for a specific uh, for a specific uh, space, trying to remain a first class option and not just something that you use for a prototype. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it, it comes down the first really understanding like, well, what are the core components and the core interactions that still every platform has and especially every every marketplace has. And I think that they are these certain key elements still 
So, you know, you have the process of building the supply, uh, adding the, all the variety of the products and services to the marketplace and all the fun functionality related to that. And there is making the match, which can be take take many, many forms, but they are still, it's a certain of limited amount of options through which a match can be made. And then the third is to actually transacting, so completing a transaction successfully. And to us, it's still like we are really narrowing down on, on those three things and then just like building a functionality that, that makes those things uh, easy. I still think that we have uh, had to uh, focus uh, ourselves a lot. So uh, we didn't start from the outset that, yes, right away, we are a great solution for all types of marketplaces. Uh, we took uh, as our first focus on Flex, we took services and rentals. So we didn't at all focus on the more traditional e-commerce marketplaces like Amazon or Alibaba. And so we said that, okay, these, these require a bit different functionality. We don't build as many modules for them yet. As what we see, so as the more important focus was the all types of like a complex services, and and then that allowed us to also narrow down our our product development a bit. Uh, but so I think it's a it's a combination of understanding the the points that are still common for everybody and where you can provide value, but then also realizing that that we are just one part of the ecosystem. So instead of trying to do everything ourselves. What we do is, is there's two things. First, we want to create like a first quality developer experience. So Flex is really a product built for developers first. So the idea is that it's a development platform. A developer comes in and they enjoy working with that. Just like in the worlds of payments, Stripe built their business around that. So we've been kind of doing the same for marketplaces. So for any developer who enjoys like a building high quality products, and this is an environment where they like to work in. And then we make it easy uh, to do this integration. So and we, so whenever a customer needs a feature, we say that okay, we know that there's there are these third-party tools that you can utilize to achieve the thing that you need. And sometimes they might be using ten or twenty of such integrations. And that is the power that we don't need to build everything ourselves. We just need to make it uh, easy uh, for the developers to build what they want, and then like connect this ecosystem. So in a way, we are becoming a marketplace ourselves we are connecting our customers who are the the people and organizations creating these marketplaces to developers uh, who are who can help them with that and to SaaS products who who they need in addition to our services am i wrong if i can say it, it resembles a bit the vision that uh, for example shopify has in the industry right a kind of positioning right to, to focus around the development ecosystem Yes, I would say so. Also, Shopify, very early on, they made this decision that we are going to provide 80% of what people need. And then the rest, uh, they can provide themselves by tapping into APIs, tapping into the plugin architecture, tapping into their developer uh, network. And, and we have very much, though there are, there are differences in our architecture, and they are, there are some things that we are doing a bit differently there than Shopify due to the na nature and what separates traditional e-commerce platforms from marketplaces. But really, there, there are many similarities in the, that way of thinking, where we just don't try to provide everything, but instead we just create the basic building blocks and then allow an ecosystem to form on top of that. Right. I know that Stina has a couple of questions coming up, but I'm, I'm a bit into this uh, rabbit, uh, nerd rabbit hole about you know, technology <laughs> licenses and so on. So I wanted to uh, close this uh, little initial segment of the conversation by asking you, 
then uh, in this vision uh, that you just uh, more or less uh, highlighted, but not just the vision, also the developments, what is the role of the uh, source, you know, the open source uh, conversation that we had in the past? You know, I know the Share Tribe started as an open source product and now uh, it's uh, transitioned into what you call a source available. Uh, so I'm curious to know your feelings in terms of uh, why you choose to do that and what are the implications in terms of uh, lock-in, for example, for adopters of this technology, especially as you position this technology as something that can help organizations for the long term, not, not just for the short term of prototyping an MVP. So, you know, I think it would be great for you to share a little bit of thoughts on this because many, also many uh, startups so that are maybe creating products and may encounter the same problems or, or, or philosophical conversations and questions that you have been dealing with in terms of the availability of your source, it would be really beneficial to, to the others. I think uh, really the change in our approach was that originally we we saw ourselves more as uh, the point of comparison was, was WordPress. Uh, and we saw that, okay, what WordPress is doing for blogs and, and online stores, we are doing for marketplaces. So you take this entire code base and you can install that on your own server and, and then run it there. And then I think really the a transition a bit away from that model. Uh, so that, that is the model that we used for our SharedRap Go product, which was our first product. Uh, and then uh, meanwhile, uh, the SharedRap Flex has a different architecture. So in Flex, how, how it actually works today is that they are open source templates and that are example front-end applications, marketplace applications built with Flex. But then there's a, a closed source uh, proprietary a backend that is being hosted by us, and that is a single backend that powers all the different Flex marketplaces in a one one installation. And the realization I think came from the uh, when we understood the type of architecture that we felt that would be the best to serve this type of audience. We basically saw that okay, the WordPress approach doesn't necessarily work that well because that basically means that then you need cer certain way to provide centralized services to all of these people at the same time and if all of them have like a have their own uh, self-hosted infrastructure that is very very difficult to build and maintain uh, i think many most of the successful open source projects built this way like wordpress initiated when we were not yet in the api economy uh, but but today we we think of ourselves a bit more as stripe for this industry than, than WordPress in the sense that we provide a certain piece, a certain set of useful services that you tap into by connecting to APIs and then you integrate many other components on that. And to me, that is how most modern software ecosystems today are being formed, just like Shopify, just like Stripe, uh, just like uh, in some ways Slack and, and also like uh, many of the kind of like the uh, applications in the in the no code ecosystem they also like are somehow like built in this this backbone and and i think that this the, the key here is that then it makes it a lot easier to build this type of uh, architectures where you can really easily uh, connect multiple of these apis together uh, but the task uh, if you would put on the task of running and hosting an api to each customer who needs to install their own uh, who is running their own marketplace, that would be a bit too too tough task. So that's just not something that you want to do. 
And I think that this is one big reason why we are moving now into this type of architecture and, and why the modern software ecosystems are now being formed in this way. So today, the ShareTribe Go license, uh, if I talk a bit about that, so today, uh, that is a license that it basically is quite close to open source, but, but the, technically it's not because it prevents you from offering it as a SaaS service. So that's a right that we have reserved exclusively for ourselves, and that's more related to uh, the business model uh, that we have for ShareTribe Go, uh, which is the, to offering, uh, the, the SaaS offering, and we had some challenges with that because of which we need to change. But I really think that the even bigger fundamental change was the approach from Go to Flex, where we moved from, from this model where you either use full SaaS or full self-hosted, and then into this, uh, what we call a headless model, where basically we are hosting uh, a set of APIs, but on, on top of that, our customers are building their own code uh, on top of open, open source templates, which is a really different type of approach. That was an amazing overview. So thanks for that. Uh, I will leave the technical space for a moment, uh, leave it to Stina to explore some other aspects. And then I have a, a couple of more questions to, to resonate with that uh, later on. Yeah, I think I, I just wanted to zoom out also to get an understanding of the ecosystem that we, we are looking at with your with Chair Tribe. So for maybe for, for both of these these lines, but maybe basically two things. One uh, aspect that I would be interested in is, is a bit of the geographical cover. And if you have seen any differentiation between different geographical regions, let's say in terms of um, the marketplace trends and so on. Uh, and the second one is maybe if you want to say something around existing corporates or startups, and if you've seen any evolution in these, in these groups. Yeah, two really good questions. Uh, if I start uh, from the geographies, uh, so today uh, we are serving uh, more than 1,000 marketplaces uh, that are, are today paying us for, for maintaining their marketplaces, and they come from 70 countries around the world. Uh, so we have quite a lot of uh, a lot of experience on the on the country differences here. Uh, I, I think that then definitely there are big differences uh, between countries. Uh, if you go back into the roots of the uh, more traditional sharing economy, I guess at this point it's we can say that a sharing economy economy is something that is traditional. Uh, so uh, there, I, I still think that they are these are concepts that are I would say more popular in the so-called uh, Western world, uh, whereas in some, uh, some other parts in, in Africa, South America, I think that there are still a lot more trust challenges. So that's still something that we are, we are seeing uh, there. Uh, on the other hand, uh, one, one big uh, infrastructure-related thing when, when it comes to online uh, is that, uh, or, or maybe, maybe even two things. So one thing is uh, about payments. Uh, so uh, we are... Like in, in Europe, US, uh, you have like a, you're expecting a certain infrastructure where people have a credit card and they make payments and then things work in a certain way. And, and then when you go into uh, African countries uh, in, in, in South, Southeast Asia, uh, in India, uh, then expectations are, it's very different type of situation. So uh, pe people might not necessarily have a bank accounts in, in the way we expect them. People don't necessarily have credit cards. So the, the entire payment lens, landscape is constantly changing, and that's a one really big challenge for us. Uh, that that's also one reason why why uh, we don't have a. There, there are some markets that we are not able to serve today as well 
as we haven't really been able to fully craft the, the type of payment solutions that the marketplaces in to- those countries need. Uh, the other aspect is naturally then the uh, desktop versus mobile. Uh, so, so especially uh, in, in again, if you think about uh, Africa or Southeast Asia, really like these marketplaces need need to work in uh, in mostly in mobile devices, and and the user interfaces that people are expecting are are quite different. Uh, so that that's definitely something that uh, that's an interesting challenge for user interface designers and and one. Reminder: Why just you just cannot build this one size one size fits all uh, all all tool that just would, would just work same way uh, everywhere in the world. So uh, so that was about the uh, about the geographies. Uh, so then, I, if I think about uh, startups and bigger companies, uh, one thing that I've noticed is that uh, big companies have very much adopted this idea of that, hey, platforms are eating the world and marketplaces are eating the world. Uh, so that, that is an observation we are making. We are more and more uh, getting requests from companies who haven't traditionally been in any way in a platform business. And now they are transitioning into, into becoming a platform. Well, I guess that's that's pretty much the, the, the folks that you are working with uh, also at... Uh, at boundaryless, uh, so uh, so so you you will. I'm sure that you can sign that that trend uh, trend as well. And the other thing that we've noticed is that there is this concept of a minimum viable product or minimum viable platform that uh, used to be adopted mainly by startups, and today that is the language that almost all the enterprise customers that we talk to are talking about. So they they are very excited about like experimentation, like trying things out fast and iteration and these things that I think that still five or at least 10 years ago, that really wasn't the case. So, and, and I, I think that because of these two things, I, I do expect that we are more and more seeing online marketplaces created by existing uh, big organizations that haven't traditionally been in platform businesses, but then just have some kind of unique value proposition that they can offer over the startups that have been built purely on the platform model. Right. Really interesting on the on the geographical differences. And I can imagine those challenges in the back end to try to work with mobile, desktop and and the payments. Uh... Super. I mean, I was uh, thinking to a quick, uh, a quick uh, follow-up uh, question on this. Uh, I was in, uh, in the chatting about this with Fina, about uh, the tendency that we see more in Asia with regards to uh, dynamics uh, pointing towards uh, super apps. So have you seen also this in your, in your uh, u- user space? So basically the tendency that seems to be a bit that odd with the verticalization tendency that we see more generally in, in the West with uh, apps uh, trying to become more like a play on, on many fronts, you know, when, when, like with the super apps that are so popular in China, for example. Have you seen that uh, also in your adopters from Asia? We are not seeing that much, but it might also be that we are maybe not the right observer to see that. Uh, so usually the way you build a super app is that you first become really good at some one thing and then you start expanding after that. So, you know, naturally Facebook is in some way becoming that and, and there are many, many of these super apps in in China and other uh, Asian countries which are now basically you are able to do any kinds of transactions uh, through these apps. But most of them started doing like one thing really well and, and became really good at that. So we, we definitely sometimes have customers who have the 
who want to become super apps, uh, but that's usually not a very healthy way to start a startup. So you need to understand because they sometimes these customers fail to understand the importance of the MVP and starting from a really, really specific focus. And, and meanwhile, I think that then the, the already existing huge apps uh, that uh, that are considering like uh, moving into these these fronts and adding these new functionalities, I think that still uh, we get to talk to them less often. I think that they still are usually pursuing like other endeavors. So 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 far we haven't seen it that uh, that much. But I do do agree with you that this is definitely the trend that trend that is is probably happening in the world. Right. Um, so another topic that we were really interesting in, in uh, picking your uh, your thoughts about. So it's it's your it's related to your uh, deep and long uh, term involvement in the conversation around uh, platform cooperatives and in general all this movement around uh, democratization of platforms and uh, ending the the dynamics of dependencies from from big players and also. Um, so I, I know that you have been involved in this movement for a while and that much of your vision also uh, deals with this idea of empowering the next generation of much more democratic, small scale and, uh, uh, you know, self-managed, uh, self-governed, self-owned uh, platforms. So I'm interested in, in getting more, more generally your, your views on that and also picking into what would it mean in terms of what kind of components and technologies and solutions you may have to build uh, complementing the the more transactional ones. And also, for example, have you ever been pushed in this conversation into building tools for governance you know, or for decision-making or for something like that? So anything uh, uh, that you want to mention about this, uh, that would be great. Yeah, these are definitely interesting conversations that I've been engaging for for many years now. I, I still definitely think that this is a future uh, that I would very much uh, like to see. Uh, I have to say that during the past five years, uh, it's five years has passed since I first uh, uh, like visited the first ever uh, platform cooperativism conference in New York, and, and since then, I think that we haven't seen quite as much development on this front as a whole as, as I would have hoped. And I, I think so. I think it's still uh, still a long way to go. Um, I, I, it, it has some potential, but I also, uh, also do think that it has uh, some challenges. I think that from our standpoint, uh, I would say that this is not like a necessarily like a big technical challenge. Uh, they are, to me, the, uh, it's relatively easy still to kind of like uh, separate the part about the governance and the part about the, how the platform operates. And, and to me, uh, this would be a good example of like, if I think about our flex architecture today that you would do with an integration. So there are lots of great companies out there today focused fully on building tools for decentralized governance. And if they have great APIs and we have great APIs, then uh, it's not really a very complex thing to integrate these into something that works well as like a full solution for, for a cooperative. Uh, I think that the, if, if I look, about, look at the state of the platform cooperativism movement today, I think that there are two parties there. So on one hand, we have the, the platforms that are being started where the founders are cooperative-minded, so they want to do things the different way. Uh, so far still, I think that many of these have... Uh, struggle to take off. I think there are many reasons. Maybe one, one thing might be that still they are, I, I think that there are many of those people could still take a, 
takes uh, takes some lessons from the startup world in terms of like how to do MVPs and how to make trade-offs in in things that are are, are kind of like less important for the ne- very next step. So, so sometimes I feel that it, they start a bit more, more with a really big vision in mind, but don't don't fully understand all the st- small steps there. So this this can uh, and naturally then this combine with the more ambition also in in addition to the uh, in addition to the business also more ambition in terms of the governance and innovation there that that can be a challenging uh, proposition uh, so uh, may, maybe that's at least like one factor uh, that has uh, prevented uh, these platforms from becoming bigger but i i think that things are changing it takes some time but uh, but, but there are some promising signs there also uh, then on the other hand, uh, we have the existing big cooperatives uh, who are thinking about becoming platforms. Uh, for them, again, I think it's even like a bit uh, slower ship uh, than even than what it would be for traditional corporations. I just mentioned that in the enterprise, the concept of MVP and, and iteration is already understood really well. But in the traditional cooperative world, maybe not as much. They haven't yet read the lean startup necessarily. So that then, then it's I think that they have the resources and for them there's so many so much potential there if they just want to take that leap they very well could and there could be so many successful platforms if they wanted, but I think that there it's more of a mindset and culture shift that needs to needs to happen first and and again we are seeing some signs we are having some interesting conversations with some cooperatives that seem to be more pioneering this movement but I think it's still still early days and it might take another five to 10 years before we really see this, this development play out. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. I, I think Sina has a very interesting question on uh, organizations that may fit with the, the cooperatives that you're also talking about. But first of all, I would like to ask you a quick um, uh, reflection in terms of why do you think that uh, these uh, cooperative models um, have failed so far uh, to really grow as uh, expected or as uh, wished. I'm always a bit concerned about the entrepreneurial aspect, not the mindset aspect, the cultural aspect that uh, you may be very familiar with no? because you have been dealing with so many entrepreneurs. So is that maybe a, a cultural issue or it's maybe a, an issue related to the lacking uh, incentives structure that normally you have even if not in the very form of co- of cooperatives versus corporates, but more in general, I think in the mindset maybe of the people that start uh, platform cooperative initiatives, you know, they're maybe not uh, very much uh, you know, profit focused or in general exit focused, I would say, and this ends up in watering their capability to really execute fast and prototype and validate and, and grow these marketplaces. Because again, growth is not an option for, for platforms. You know? so, so any reflection that you have on, on this cultural, this difference of tone, you know, let's say, between what you need as an entrepreneur to really get these platforms off the ground, so growth focus, entrepreneurial mindset, and on the other hand, the mindset that normally pushes and empowers this uh, cooperative entrepreneur. Yeah, I think you're hitting a nail in the head uh, in, in many ways there. I, I think that's also in, in my previous answer, I was somehow re- referring to that uh, that specific point a bit too when I was uh, I was talking about this, that they, uh, the platform cooperative founders should maybe take a uh, page from the uh, traditional startup playbook and, and better understand this uh, mindset that is needed in that and understanding that 
building a platform business is very, very hard already, even, even if you have all the traditional tools and traditional uh, elements of funding and you don't need to uh, kind of like care about this additional uh, like innovate component of, of building the structure and governance in a very specific way. So I, I think that that is, that is part of that. I do think that also just a part of the ecosystem not being there in terms of funding and peers and all that, I, I think that that has played a part. Uh, so there are really many, many reasons there. I also do think that for like a simple one, one simple observation is that if I look at our, our data today, uh, there are maybe around 2000 marketplaces. So uh, if you count all the free trials created on our software that have been, are created each month. So that's, that's more than 20,000 each year. Uh, so there are lots and lots of these founders out there. And if I think about, okay, how many of these like founders are then thinking about platform cooperatives, that's maybe max uh, 50 uh, or, or like not, not necessarily even that, maybe 100. Uh, but so, so anyway, like it's really small. And, and we also see that in our customer base, unfortunately, most of these businesses will fail because again, building a marketplace business, a successful one is hard. And that also means that let's say that if 20 people start and only one succeeds, then that means that also that the same might apply to platform cooperatives. So you need 20 people to start this with the same idea in order for one of them to succeed. But the problem is that we don't yet have as many as many excited founders there. So that aspect, and then the infrastructure aspect, especially in terms of the funding and the different models there. And I do think that also this, this mindset where people are a bit more oriented towards some really high vision for the society and a bit, bit less oriented towards, okay, let's make an MVP and let's make some big trade-offs and, and all these things. So if when I talk to platform cooperative founders, uh, really uh, it's quite common that in the end, like they feel that, okay, they don't want to use our services because uh, for instance, we are using Amazon uh, for our cloud hosting and they don't want to use that. Or we have some components that are not open source and for them it's mandatory that everything is open source or there are some other factors and 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 they are there's i think there's quite often also this sense of some certain purity and demand for some some purity that also means that they have a way higher mountain to climb in order to really reach there and i think that that also then means that that more, many people don't don't end up making it all the way to the top Good point. So borderline ideological, I would say, no. So yeah, these are the general trends. I still do think that they are, they are success stories. There also, and they are people also in that ecosystem who are are very much getting that. And and in addition, one impo- more final important point that is important to keep in mind about platform cooperatives is that they don't always also need to become huge. So it might also be that a cooperative for cleaners that has, let's say. 100 or 200 cleaners in it who are getting their bookings through a platform that might be, they might be happy with that. They might not need to grow because they have like a nice, nice, nice business there and they have a certain existing client base and they just don't need to make a big exit and they don't need to ever become this next unicorn. So it's also, it's also important to ask like, what is a success story? Like to them, what they have already is a success story, even though media might never hear from them. Yeah, I wanted to, let's see if I can get this um, across in the right way. So we were talking about uh, mindset in in relation to platform cooperative. 
Uh, and you were also mentioning before, you know, the, you're working with corporates uh, that kind of want to jump on the the platform wave, or you know, they feel like they need to uh, use a platform business model to some extent. And what we are very much gone into in the white paper is uh, around what what impact this has on the organization itself or the corporate itself. So I'm curious to know if you have thoughts around around that. Uh, you know, to what extent do you need to become a different kind of business if you start to to build a marketplace and you want to make that an integral part of your business? So, you know, we're we're talking a lot about this sort of outside in uh, perspective, right? So you need to resonate with the ecosystem and you need to some, to some extent let go a little bit of centralized control. Have you seen uh, things like this happening in in working with your users? I think that so far, if if I think about our customers, I don't think that there has been major organizational transformations uh, coming out of this. And I, I, I think that that's something that is more towards like later in the in the pipeline so if i think about this uh again these organizations are smart in realizing that if they would need to right away trans like even for their very first minimum viable platform they would need to already transform their organization before they can try something like this out that would be like a really major challenge that would take (laughs) easily years for them and that would really slow down their their ability to actually try this thing out. So what we are seeing is that instead, what they do is that they form these, uh, they they hire these entrepreneurs uh, who form like uh, startups inside the organization, who then usually start running these uh, these concepts independently. And so basically, they don't transform their core business. They just say that okay, we have this new division that does this thing, and and then. And then after that, like if they validate and realize that that works, then as the next step, it might be then uh, then to see that, okay, should we actually start transforming our entire organization to work work this way? But at least to me, this is way more common approach than, than going all in right away on the organizational transformation. And, and I think it's also like a healthy, <laughs> healthy way of doing, doing that. So I, I think that there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. Uh, that that being said, like I kind of like I, I think that there can also be some dangers. Uh, like if you're trying to do this, but you have like a more traditional uh, organization mindset. Uh, but I think that to, to me so far that the issues I've seen have more are more related to the fact that do they really understand like who is the owner of this concept and how how, do the, how does the building the supply and demand work? So they are more like a more maybe that they. They might not grasp all the marketplace basics, but also not not all the startups also grasp them. So, and and meanwhile, then we are also seeing some some startups inside big organizations that we are working with, who are really grasping these things. So, uh, for instance, we have been working with Decathlon, uh, which is a big European uh, a chain for a chain for like a, like selling sports equipment and and things like that. And they are running various different initiatives on, on our technology. And these are run by teams of entrepreneurs that operate really independently. And I, I don't really think that it has transformed their entire organization, but at the same time, they are able to run many of these experiments and bit by bit, probably they end up being transformed in many ways. So so uh, I, I don't have like these big worries there about the organization somehow like missing that. 
so very quickly before before you know in in the last part of this conversation i would like to approach uh, with you um a little bit of uh, exploration of what you what are, what are your considerations with regards to uh, defensibility for example no so uh, i'm i'm thinking about uh, a company that uh, um that is doing similar work to sharetribe for example Uh, which is uh, Miracle, no? this French company that we're going to have on the podcast uh, quite soon. So our listeners can also expect some further conversation on this point. And they've chosen to uh, move into this uh, uh, marketplace, uh, this, sorry, Miracle Connect, that is a way for them to generate some kind of uh, network effects. No? So, so to some extent, Miracle Connect connects these suppliers Uh, uh, Miracle is more into the e-commerce space. So maybe it's much easier to create this kind of uh, a set of uh, uh, suppliers that will be available to all their customers to some extent to reduce this uh, plug-in time to, to, to the supply side of the spectrum. So I was thinking about you and the fact that ShareTribe moves more into a more diverse uh, diverse space. No? So what, what would be your your vision uh, in terms of how do you uh, move into a space like that without just becoming a, an infrastructure? No? But how do you build the defensibility and how do you build the network effects uh, in the space that you guys are, are trying to empower? That's a really great question. And indeed, uh, I would say that uh, both uh, our strategy and, and Miracle strategy both rely Uh, when it comes to defensibility, our both strategies rely on network effects, but in a really different way. So if you look at Miracle, uh, they they really target a different type of audience than, than we are. So they are offering their solution to really big retailers who want to turn their existing e-commerce solutions into, into marketplaces and bring lots of additional smaller suppliers there to sell their products there. So more like the traditional e-commerce, which, like I mentioned, hasn't really been in our Our focus, we have, we are focusing a bit more on the uh, more complex uh, transactions uh, in in various different fields, uh, like I mentioned. But in, in their case, it makes total sense that you basically build this workflow through which the same sellers can sell in many of these these marketplaces quite easily, and that's where the network effect comes from. Meanwhile, for us, uh, really, we are coming a bit more from the grassroots. Uh, so for our our story. Uh, what, what we really want to enable is uh, is this democratization of the platform economy, uh, and, and and the approach for us to reaching that is that we make it as easy as possible for somebody. To, so they shouldn't need to be a big organization. They can be a small startup. They can be a social enterprise. They can be a small cooperative. They can be a nonprofit. To build this type of platform and make it success. Uh, in the way they define success, which sometimes can be growing quite big, sometimes just operating a small-scale business. But being able to do that uh, without uh, having to raise uh, venture capital, uh, for instance. And, and basically that means that our approach for doing that, well, sure, we provide uh, software of our own that, that reduces their cost. But what I, what I think it will be even more important is building this network which I described earlier. So building our own marketplace, which basically com connects these people uh, who are building their marketplace businesses to uh, vendors who are offering them services, whether that's a, a marketing specialist or a developer who knows uh, our APIs really well and can do really quickly and cheaply the work that they want, uh, or a SaaS vendor that has an insurance solution that they need out of the box 
And, and to me, uh, this is the type of network effect that we are creating, that once we have a large pool of customers, that, that is very attractive to these uh, suppliers. So they want to come to our ecosystem, maybe build existing integrations to our APIs uh, to sell them as plugins. Uh, or developers, they take the time to actually learn our APIs because there's there's potential clients there. And then meanwhile, for the customers, when there are lots of vendors who already know how our APIs work, there are lots of existing SaaS integrations, then suddenly it becomes a lot cheaper and, and more attractive for them to use our products. So this is kind of where our defensibility comes from, this, this idea that we can create this ecosystem, that that is the most powerful ecosystem for somebody building their own marketplace business. That, that's great. I see this, uh, again, this uh, resonance with, uh, uh, let's say, the Shopify model, you know, if you want, that, uh, that uh, I think many product companies can be inspired by, you know, this idea to create this, the ecosystem around the professional that will support each other in building these new value propositions, these new strategies. Uh, maybe a last question that I have for you uh, 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 today is... Uh, I know that you are also very much concerned uh, with uh, sustainability you know, and climate change, for example. And um, um, I was curious to see if you have ideas in terms of how do you see these marketplaces being more and more integrated in the local sphere? You know? So uh, how do you empower marketplaces that are, that are focused on the, on the localities, you know, on, the, on creating businesses that uh, deal with local development, local trade, And maybe if you have been thinking about dynamics that can connect them with each other, so to, to this, through this multi-scale and uh, scaling across, no more than scaling up, like uh, the complexity uh, uh, experts would say. You know? So uh, have you ever had some thoughts uh, around this topic? Yeah, definitely many of our customers uh, would fall uh, into this segment. I think it's also the nature of our positioning. So uh, this, uh, So we have really created an offering that is available budget-wise also for this type of organizations, which don't have the capital necessary for some, some, some other alternatives. And that's always been a really important for us. So for us, it's the, the key is just really to automate all the possible steps there. So, so that building, building uh, like a platform like this uh, is, is very easy. Uh, so I, I think that that's, that's one bit there. The other bit naturally can then be is more about awareness and, for instance, working with these movements like platform cooperativism uh, and others. So I, I think that there's some lots of potential there. There I see that they, our main bottlenecks are really not the technological, but just for the fact that they, the people who are building this are realized that, hey, these possibilities exist. It would be possible to build this type of platform. And also that there's a solution like ours that could actually help them. So they, because really often they end up thinking, that no, this is too expensive. We just cannot cannot uh, go into this endeavor and they don't realize that actually uh, actually that would be would be possible but but yeah I, I do think that also uh, one important aspect of the what I mentioned about the uh, about the community and what we also want to be building more and more in the in the coming years is really to bring in these people together uh, so in in addition to creating this marketplace of supply and demand we also want to build a peer community of these people so that they can learn uh, learn from each other and learn the best practices. And, and like, I, I think that that's, uh, that will be very powerful. And I think that we are also in an interesting and unique position uh, to do so. So that, that is probably the third thing that we can do to, to help this, uh, this particular dynamic. 
Mm-hmm. Which is, by the way, I think uh, the, the place where you really democratize organizing, you know, because if we are talking about marketplaces as an evolution of organizing, and we've been talking about those opportunities for local, uh, for example, local constituents to organize and uh, uh, to some extent uh, extract from the market. And, and that's essentially where, for example, Platform Corp would really have a very much of uh, meaning. You know? so, so I think uh, uh, this, is, this may really be the sweet spot for, for your company and, and uh, you know, also knowing that your mission is so concerned about uh, you know, the environmental crisis, inequality, and also, as you said, once the loss of meaning, you know, that I think uh, it could be really the place where you regain this meaning, you know, when you empower this uh, small-scale organizing through these technologically mediated, uh, uh, mediated things. One thing that I also hope us to be able to do more is then to go the other way around, uh, which is that there are lots of people who come to us and they share the same philosophy about about really wanting to do something that is good for the world and for the sustainability and 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 so on. But they are also they they are a bit confused about the organizational structure and how how to really structure it in a way that it doesn't end up into this another kind of like a machine that ends up raising lots of VC capital and then transforming into into something that is no longer their control. And I think that we can also maybe play a part there in, in showing that there are like alternative paths for organizing and like setting up the governance structure uh, of your marketplace when you're founding. And I think that that's, that's one aspect that I, I definitely hope that we can, we can do a bit more, just, just maybe trailblazing here a bit. Right. And before I let you go, no, it's really uh, um, last minute, uh, last minute question. Uh, I forgot that I wanted to ask you about, um, you know, your experience in embracing a different model of ownership for your company, you know, and the steward ownership model that you, you embrace now, I think three years ago, if I'm not wrong, something like that. Um, and I would really love you to, to share a couple of words on these and not just in terms of uh, your experience directly, but also how do you see that uh, fitting with empowering this new generation of uh, marketplaces and marketplace-based organizations? Sure. Uh, indeed, like two and a half years ago, uh, roughly, we transitioned into our current uh, gov- uh, ownership model, which is called steward ownership. And, and this transition really started from our mission of democratizing uh, the sharing our platform economy, which uh, that, that, that was born first. But when we would go around uh, in the events in the world and we would be talking about this mission, uh, people would also point out to us that, hey, you know, many of these platforms are actually extracting quite a lot of value and they're becoming these monopolies that are also creating lots of trouble in the society. And, and their concern was that we are, hey, you guys are also a startup and you are VC-funded traditional organization. So what prevents you from essentially becoming one of them? And, and like, how, how can they really trust uh, that, that like we are like a, uh, like a responsible steward uh, and, and who are really going to like put our mission first, even in a situation where there will be an opportunity to capitalize uh, on that uh, on that community in, in ways that would be extractive. And that was a really good question. And we naturally, we were that, hey, we are, we are good guys uh, and girls. We would never, never do that. Uh, but that wasn't a very convincing answer. And, and then we realized that ultimately there was something, uh, something flawed. Uh, we felt there in, in the way that this, uh, our, our model was working. And we also did realize that, wait, we are not really ex- interested in the 
some of the traditional like uh, end paths that many startup founders are. So we are not really interested in doing an IPO or selling the company or having an exit. We are just only interested in having this impact. And if we raise even more VC money and we become like uh, kind of like lose the control of the company, then uh, that 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 could be very detrimental to this mission. And the mission is the reason we started the company for. And then we really started thinking about this and we ended up making a very drastic change, which basically changed our structure in a way that uh, now the, the voting power of our company is fully in hands of active team members. And that means active. So if I leave the company at some point, I need to give up my voting shares. Uh, that basically means that no, no investor or third party can ever buy the company so that to assume control. So the go- control will always remain within uh, within the active team members. So in that sense, uh, quite a lot of similarity from the cooperative. But at the same time, it, it like doesn't have some of the same restrictions of the cooperative. So it also bene- we get some of the benefits from the regular limited company in way we can operate and, and fundraise and so on. And and this this is a but this is a permanent structure and it's guarded by a foundation set up that we've given some shares to a foundation that ha- basically has a veto power and it's by its rules is bound to veto any any change uh, back. And we also have a clause there that for our investors uh, they will get uh, they will get returns from their investment, but there will be a cap to those returns. And after that, the investors and other shareholders, including us founders won't get any further returns in terms of dividends or anything like that. Uh, so uh, basically, the company will then be spending 100% of its money uh, to adv- advance it, its mission in the ways that its its people see see best fit. And I, I think that this, uh, in general, uh, when we learned about this new structure, it's not a structure invented by us. Uh, it's a structure that has existed in var- various ways for more than 100 years, but was brought to our attention by uh, this uh, group of people in, based in Germany, who are researching this and who have given the, it the name steward ownership, we realized that this is something that would allow us to kind of like continue operating the way we operate towards this mission, but would really uh, basically be something that we can also offer as a proof for all the different stakeholders that this is a binding promise. We won't sell out. <laughs> we we won't we won't turn evil. There's no longer any incentive for us to do so, and it, it ensures that our incentives are always. Uh, always at the right place and it's always in the best uh, interest of everybody working at our company to just uh, do the thing that uh, is the most beneficial uh, for our mission and and I think that this has worked really well for us I've definitely been a lot happier personally like after this transition and I this is the same message that I've been hearing also from from our team members that I I think coming back to what I what you mentioned and what I've been writing earlier about uh, this loss of meaning and that being a big problem in our society. I think that these types of structures that can really help people feel that, okay, they are really working towards something that has like, an, that is really doing good, uh, good for the world. And, and really like in, in that way also get a better connection to the meaningfulness uh, of their work. And, and that has definitely been the case case for us and for me personally. So I think it's it's been a very uh, I'm, I'm very happy for for this transition and I I, I do hope that more uh, organizations in the future will take paths like this because I, I see that that would lead to uh, many good things happening in the world.
Right. It certainly gives more space to the mission of the organization. And, and uh, I must say that uh, I'm really, really proud to, for having, uh, having had the chance to have this conversation with you and really looking forward to this company that is trying to make a new vision for uh, privacy marketplaces that are empowering, that are democratic, that are small scale, that are uh, even big uh, scale, uh, large scale sometimes, but uh, that don't make a point of being so, you know, uh, winner take all based, uh, uh, you know, everywhere and, and all the time. It's really, really great. So I, I really looking forward to, to uh, again, explore with you your progress in a, in a few months uh, on. And uh, at the moment, I want to really thank you for the inspiration that you gave to our listeners. And I'm sure that they will follow up. So the question is, uh, where do they find you? Where do they find ShareTribe? How can they get more information and prototype and, and explore with you their future marketplaces? Yeah, uh, so that's quite easy. Uh, so go to our website, www.sharetribe.com. And uh, from there, you can uh, essentially click and get started building uh, for free. And in a couple of minutes, you have a marketplace of your own up and running, which you then can then configure. And with our Go tool, you can basically launch your first minimum viable platform without writing a single line of code, even in the same day uh, when you created it. So, uh, and naturally then for those who are looking to build something more advanced, we have infinite extensibility uh, possibilities to choose Flex on our, our APIs there. So, uh, and, and that's also something that is free for developers to explore and develop. So, uh, so this is a very, very accessible to anybody who wants to, wants to learn more uh, we also, uh, finally, uh, I've also been, uh, I co-authored a book uh, called The Lean Marketplace, uh, which I think is a great read for somebody who is new to the concept of marketplaces and is thinking of starting a business like this on their own, whether they are an entrepreneur or entrepreneur. I, I definitely can recommend it as a practical guidebook uh, for somebody to understand the basic concepts of what it takes to takes to build a successful uh, marketplace business. We also write about the same topics at our Marketplace Academy at shetrive.com slash academy. So I think that's worth a visit too. Right, right. And you also don't want to miss uh, uh, the second season uh, that uh, you told me is coming up, hopefully, of your two-sided podcast. No, that was one of our uh, most, the dearest uh, shows in the last, the last, the last uh, season, I would say. Yes, definitely. So keep, keep, uh, do subscribe to our newsletter. Uh, we are uh, indeed we have a podcast uh, for marketplace uh, about marketplaces too, and indeed there's a plan for a second season uh, for next year. So stay tuned for that too. I can't can't wait. So thank you, Stina, for the co-hosting. Thanks. And thanks to Hugo for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was a, it's been a blast. Thanks very much, and uh, for our listeners, stay tuned for new adventures and catch up soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Boundless Conversation podcast. We truly hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please share this episode on social media, review our show on any major distribution platform, and don't forget to subscribe for new episode releases. Stay tuned on www.platformdesigntoolkit.com for our latest news and updates. There, you can also find our free design tools, opportunities to learn how to use them, or connect directly with us to use our help in designing your platform and ecosystem strategies in these turbulent times. We also want to thank Walter Mobilia Leo Sound for the ad hoc music.